God ordaining that which seems to be bad. And yet, God is always good. God is always right. I failed to mention this earlier, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, our church uh, put together some cards to send to be an encouragement to the Evans family in New York. And I got a message back from Ben's father, and uh, they were overwhelmed, uh, overwhelmed, encouraged that you folks took the time, not knowing them, to write letters to encourage them. And uh, Ben's father is a good friend of mine. And he said, I have decided, he said, I decided I'm going to put these cards aside. And I don't know what you folks wrote. I'm going to put these cards aside so that Ben can get this later and see how good God is. It's an amazing thing what a little bit of encouragement does to people. And I just, I appreciate you guys taking the opportunity to do that and encourage that family. Uh, Ben seems to be doing, he said he seems to be doing well considering. And um, so just continue to pray for them. And uh, it's an example of a life changed in a moment. It it changed in a moment for them. And uh, so just remember to pray for them if you would. I know they certainly appreciate it. Let's take our Bibles again and go to the 13th chapter of Romans, if you would, this morning. Romans chapter number 13. And uh, many would look at this final section between verses 8 and 14 and say, let's cover them all today. We're not going to do that. We're going to look at verses 8, 9, and 10 because there's so much packed into these three verses. I'm not sure we can handle the rest of it quite yet. These three verses in verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10 contain what we're not, will not be something new for us, but will be something that is difficult for us. It will contain principles that are difficult for us to live out in our day-to-day life. Many people, when they look at these three verses we'll look at today, will look at these three verses and they'll say, verse 9 is no problem. But then they look around those verses and they see verse 8 and they see verse 10 and they say, this is not so easy. I would tell you they're all difficult. All three of these verses contain what should be the result of saving grace. They should be the result or the characteristics of a believer. You'll notice here that the Apostle Paul in the previous verses, in verses 1 through 7, we spent three weeks in verses 1 through 7, and we looked at how Paul was teaching that we have a responsibility to be subject to the higher powers. Not only just in outward obedience, but in our respect, in our honor, and we are supposed to do those things because God has ordained it. Now Paul kind of turns the page and he says, now I want to explain to you the responsibility you have towards others and the responsibility especially to your neighbor. Again, I mentioned a few weeks ago, who is our neighbor? It's mankind. It's not just the person who shares an address or a house next to you. It's not just the person that sits in church next to you. It is mankind. What's difficult to do is to do what the Apostle Paul is instructing us to do here. Notice what he says in verse number 8. He says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, 
namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul, as he turns his attention to what we might consider the highest law of all, the law of love. When we stop and we consider what is the greatest of the commandments, what is the greatest law or what is the greatest thing that we ought to obey? And he says here that the greatest law that we is to be obeyed is the law of love. Now, again, today, all of us have an idea Oftentimes, it's a made-up idea of what love is. If I was to do this anonymously and hand out a slip of paper and have each one of you define love, I would dare say there would be many, many different definitions of it. Some of you would focus on the elements of doing love. Some would focus on the elements of receiving love. Some would have a, an emotional idea But the responsibility here is he says the fulfilling of the law can be summed up in one thing, love. Now, what he is not saying is that if you just love, then you're not guilty of breaking those commandments. I said that a lot of people believe I have verse 9 under control, but here's an alarming truth for you this morning. All of us are guilty of breaking all the commandments in verse 9. And if you're saying this morning, not me, you're deceived. See, we all are guilty already. This is not a matter of saying, listen, now if you just love, then that takes away all of your responsibility and you're no longer longer guilty of breaking these other commandments. We already know we've broken the law of God. We already know today that there's absolutely nothing we could do. It would be foolish for us to say today, um, I have kept the entire law. So why would Paul emphasize the law of love? Why would he mention something so simple yet so difficult, love one another? For the believer, love ought to rule supreme. Love ought to govern every situation of your life. It ought to govern every situation of my life. What I do, what I say, where I go, it ought to be governed by love. Oftentimes, we think love is just something that's experienced between two people, but love is to be towards our neighbor. So what Paul does here is by this section, he starts speaking of love and he, how it makes us tender to the law of God. In other words, if our life is ruled by love, we will be more tender to the law of God than at any other time. Love is a law. The law says love one another. He doesn't say love lovable people if they're like you. He says love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. That trips us all up. Remember we talked about self. We are about self-love. Now, you might not admit it, but you love yourself tremendously today. You love yourself. I love myself. It it will come out when something happens to you. You will think you first. 
And so will I. We love ourselves. He doesn't say love yourself. You know why he doesn't tell us that? Because we've already got that down. What he does say is you need to love someone else as well as you love yourself. Love another person that way. Love someone else the way that you love yourself. He uses a phrase that many people take out of context, and it's the very first phrase in verse 8, Oh, no man anything. People stop there and they say, This means you should never be in debt. You should never have a loan. That's not the context of what he's talking about. What he is saying is he's talking about the context of submission to authority and loving someone else. In other words, we'll talk about this. Oh, no man anything. Love is a debt that we always owe. In other words, I can never look at another person and say, I don't owe you love anymore. Now, that's going to cause some problems in our life today. That's going to cause some real problems because there are people we've already lined up in our mind that says, listen, I am never loving that person again because they've done too many unlovable things to me, so they're off my love list. The problem is you aren't allowed to do that. The problem is, is you are told that love is a continuous debt. Listen, I'm all for getting out of debt. If you owe money, you ought to pay it, right? If you have a loan on your car, you have a loan on your house, you owe that. But you know what? You should never get the goal of paying off the debt of love. In other words, there's not a point you can reach where you say, I no longer owe you love. There's a debt here that he's talking about. The debt of love. Love one another. In the beginning of verse number seven, remember Paul had written these words, render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Then he says, oh, no man, anything. We can connect these thoughts and says, listen, uh, don't be lacking in rendering to the higher authorities what they're due. If you owe them taxes, pay their taxes. If you owe them custom, pay them custom. If you owe them fear, owe them fear. And that's the context in which he says, oh, by the way, you ought to love one another. Christians are to render everything that they owe. Paul forbids them to owe any man anything, that is, to withhold from man what he is due. In other words, if I withhold my taxes from the higher powers, you deserve whatever penalty comes with that. Now he turns it and he says, listen, do if you withhold love, you're as guilty as withholding the taxes from the rightful people. A lot of times, again, we love ourselves so much, we say things like this, I have a right to not love that person anymore because of what they've done to us. Let me ask you the question, if Jesus Christ took that approach with you, would he still love you? Absolutely not. You and I are not lovable people because we're self-centered and arrogant. You say, that, that's, not, that's not helping my ego this morning. Good. Our ego is the last thing that needs fed today. Our self-esteem is the last thing because we do a fine job with that already. 
It's an amazing thing. God never tells us to feed what's already our downfall in Scripture. He never says, listen, you need to, you need to be more self-centered. You need to be more about you. No, he says you need to be more about other people. So it is a reproach to God to withhold love. But it also does injury to that neighbor. You know, when you withhold love from your neighbor, you are causing, I'm causing injury to them. I'm harming them. We are to love one another for he that loveth hath fulfilled the law. Love is represented as a debt that is never paid. It's a debt that always remains due. Believers ought not only love one another continually, but we ought to abound in that love. You know, oftentimes we become just about doing the outward. And the book of Romans has taught us a lot about that since we pivoted from the heavy doctrine into the practical side. We're, we are consumed and obsessed with the idea of outward conformity. We're, we're consumed with the idea that if I just outwardly obey, then I'm doing my responsibility. You can outwardly appear to love and inwardly still despise and hate them. Your outward conformity is not just what he is at. He says, not only are you not to withhold this love, you should be abounding in this love. This love should be growing more and more. I've told many of you, you know, if you grow up in a, in a checkmark Christianity, if you've grown up in checkmark Christianity that just says, listen, check this box every day and you're good with God, you really need to erase all that and start over. Because your check marks mean nothing. If all it is is outward conformity, the law already proves, proves to us we cannot live to the letter of the law. Love is urged on the very ground that the end of verse 8 tells us. Because he that loves another hath fulfilled the law. What does he mean by that? He means it's the fulfillment of the law in all of its precepts. In other words, here's what he means. He doesn't mean that if you love, then you're not guilty of all those things. He said love is the picture. It's the picture of the precepts. In other words, the entire law is grounded on love to God and love to man. The Ten Commandments are broken up into really two pieces. Those things we owe to God and those things we owe to man. And we are to owe those things to man. So what we see here is if, if there was a perfect love, if there was a perfect love, there would be a perfect observance of the law. But here's the problem. No man loves another in the perfection that the law requires. In other words, I can't love you enough to fully perfect what the law requires. But here's what I can do. Since no man can perfectly keep the law, law then is that fulfillment. It's the thing which the law demands. The law demands love. Love towards God, love towards man. Listen, I'm getting ahead of myself, but if we made that our principle in every interaction and in every aspect of life, it would absolutely change the way we deal with other people in every situation. You know, we, use a, we throw a lot of Christian terms around, and a lot of times we don't even really know what the term means. One of those pet peeves for me is the term legalism. You've heard that term. 
Most people who use that word have no idea what it means. They think legalism means if you tell them to do something, they say, you're a legalist. Now, legalism only has to do really with one aspect. It's about salvation. It has to do with you cannot earn your salvation. It has to do with the legal ethic. There are things God tells us to do. It's not a legalist who stands up and says, listen, the Bible says you ought to love one another. That's not legalism. This is what the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be doing. There's a demand that we are to love God and love man. He says, owe no man anything but to love one another. Whether it's your superiors, whether it's your equals, whether it's the government, whether it's whoever it is, pay to whatever that person is due. The only, there's only one debt that you can never fully pay and you should ever be paying, and that's the debt of love. In other words, that's something you never reach the end where you make your final payment on it. Why? Because it's continual. Charles Hodge said this. He said, acquit yourselves of all obligations except love, which is a debt that must remain ever due. I always owe love. What Paul is teaching us here by way of application is this, if we order our life in a way that no man may justly require anything of us except what we owe to one another, then we have fulfilled the law. In other words, if we continue can say, listen, that person is showing and demonstrating love. It's a perpetual law. It's a law that continues. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. If we love another person, we do it in deed and we do it in truth. We have fulfilled that law, he says. He means the second half of the law, by the way. We can't fulfill even the first half of all the things that God tells us to do. But what Paul's doing here is he is commending love as a concise statement. In other words, if you were to say, what's the law about? Love. Love is what the entire law commands. Again, we're building somewhere. Do you realize if love was the command and love was the demand that we lived by, the other issues of the law would never be a problem? Do you realize if you were living the law of love, adultery would never be a problem? Now let that sink in for a minute. If you were living what the law demands, you would never have to worry about adultery. You would never have to worry about killing another person. You would never have to worry about stealing. You would never have to worry about bearing false witness. You would never have to be concerned about covetousness. If love was ruling supreme in your life, you realize nearly every sin is committed because there is a lack of love. You would never kill a person. If, law was the, if love was the law. You see, all of the law demands that love is the fulfilling of it. The law itself can be described as love in revealed action. In other words, it's a matter of responsibility. I don't have a choice to choose whether or not to love you today, and you don't have a choice to choose whether or not you love me. 
Now, this verse, as I told you, oh, no man, anything has often been used to discourage people. And again, I've been in churches literally where that entire message was about not taking loans. You want to walk out feeling empty, walk out of a sermon that's completely out of context. This isn't about loans. This isn't about whether, I mean, people say it's a sin to have a credit card. It's a sin to have a car payment. It's a sin. You know, most of us wouldn't have even anything if we didn't have some loan. What's wrong is you don't pay it back. That's what's wrong. But the reality here is, is that's not even the context. He's talking about in the realm of what we owe to others. In other words, we should never withhold what is due. Just like we talked about the first seven verses. I should never withhold my honor and my respect to the higher powers. I should never withhold love to any man. Why? Because that's what the Bible tells us. But what we do know about this is that the law demands that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Do you you realize that nothing would be more evident that we loved our neighbor than not committing any of the things that are specified here? Now, again, I told you, most people say, well, I, I don't commit adultery. I don't kill. I don't steal. I don't bear false witness. I don't covet. There's not a one of you today that says, I'm not guilty of all of those at some point in my life. He said, I've never committed adultery. The Lord said, if you ever even look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. We're all guilty of these. The responsibility comes on us when we understand that if we were truly living by the law of love, those things would be unthinkable. The law of the Lord is something to be admired, yes, but do you realize that this is just how bad we are? Do you know, realize even the Ten Commandments are not unreasonable, and yet we still can't do it. Think about it. People say, man, the Ten Commandments are too hard. If you honestly read them, it's not that they're so hard. It's just that we're that bad. That's not very edifying preaching. I'm not feeling very puffed up this morning. I'm not either. The law is not difficult, but we love ourselves way too much. The person that commits adultery believes they deserve it. They say, I can do that because my spouse is this. My spouse isn't this. And if we don't commit the actual act, why in the world do we think on things like that that we shouldn't? Why would you think on another person that way with the lustful thoughts that you have? That is injurious to another person. But we're so self-centered. That's what we want. I heard someone say it last night. They said it as clear as they could ever say. You know why? Because we love our sin. I know that's shocking. Because we want to all be holy and perfect and perfect packed with a nice bow on it and say, listen, I don't love sin. No, the problem is the Bible says you actually do love sin, and so do I. That's why these things are difficult, because we do love our sin. We love it. We often feed it. And yet, the law of the Lord, it's pretty simple. You know what the law requires? Nothing more than what love demands. In other words, what the law really is asking you to do is love God and love your neighbor. That's it. We don't love God the way we should, and we don't love our neighbor the way we should. We have no problem loving ourselves, 
But we sure have a problem loving God and we sure have a problem loving our neighbor. Occasionally you'll meet a person that says this, I love God, but I don't like my neighbor. Then you don't love God. See, you can't have one or the other. Our love towards God is going to be reflected in our love towards our neighbor. If I have a love of God, I'm going to love my neighbor. Again, our definition is what often gets in the way. I'm, I have demands, we might say. There, there's, a, there's a debt of love. But if this was our continual thought, we would have no problem being obedient. We would have no problem respecting. We'd have no problem honoring. We'd have no problem serving the Lord. We'd have no problem when we're children obeying and respecting our parents. You know what we do with our kids when they're little and they disobey? We say something like this. That's just kids being kids. No, that's kids revealing their depravity. And that's why the parents that think when they're children, when they're little, they do something cute that's disobedient. When that child becomes 18, that's not so cute anymore. Like we've said, oftentimes it's not just about this outward conformity, especially with the child. You've got to, you're going to have to reach more than just outward conformity. What's the first commandment with promise? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Love is the answer to all of what the law demands. He who truly loves God and others fulfills what God requires of them. So what is the demand? We've already talked about it. End of verse 9. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So we've been told love one another. And number two, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the demand. Each one of these is to be comprehended in how we love our neighbor. The whole law demands nothing else but that. People say the law has too many demands. It has two demands. Love God and love your neighbor. That's the two demands of the law. We owe that to one another. We owe love to one another. Let's look at a couple of verses here. Go to Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. our Lord's own words here. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. I want you to see Jesus speaking himself says, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. And this is, this is let's, let's go back because this, it's beginning in verse 34, because this is the question that the Pharisees were asking. Now remember, the Pharisees were not asking because they truly wanted to know. They were just trying to trip Jesus up. That was their entire plan. Matthew 22, verse 34 says this. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question tempting him. Now here, there's where we know that this was not an honest question. And saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second, notice the phrase, is like unto it. In other words, it means it's similar but it's different. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments, love God, love your neighbor, hang all the law and all the prophets. Everything the law demands hangs on those two things. 
Now, Matthew doesn't go on any further and give us any. It's almost as if it ends and then it turns into the Pharisees being questioned. And they begin asking the question, what think you of Christ? But the point here is we see Jesus himself said there are two things in which the whole law hangs on. Your love of God and your love of your neighbor. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. Galatians 5, verse 14. And again, let's go back just a little bit so that we get the context. Look at verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. And by the way, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get into liberty. The book of Romans deals with this. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Now let's be brutally honest. We have no problem with verse 15. We have no problem biting and devouring one another. You say, not me. I imagine if we heard conversations in your house and you heard conversations in my house, you would hear things that are much more to be compared with biting and devouring than love. Because we love ourselves. Repeatedly, we see this phrase, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Let me show you one more. 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. Of course, Paul writing to uh, Timothy. It's amazing to me that in the very first letter to Timothy, he talks about doctrine, but within the first few verses, he gives the most important part of this commandment. He tells him in verses 3, 4, and 5, he says all the things we would agree with. Teach no other doctrine. Don't give heed to fables. Don't give heed to endless genealogies. Now, the end of the commandment is charity. That, that's, it's love. Out of a pure heart, of a good conscience, of a faith unfeigned. A non-hypocritical love. He holds that just as important as he says, don't teach false doctrine. Oh, by the way, make sure that you're ruled by love. So we see here that what love demands is that we love God and we love our neighbor. Now, here's how we can practically see how does our love for God demonstrate itself? It, it will demonstrate itself itself and how we worship. We worship him. We don't have any other idols. We don't take his name in vain. But how do we demonstrate love towards our neighbor? Well, we first of all know this, we don't worship them because we're not supposed to worship anyone but God. We know we're not supposed to idolize them because they're, they're not God. However, how do we demonstrate this practically? If we truly loved our neighbor as we love ourselves, we would put forth every effort to treat our neighbor as if we were the one being treated. 
We certainly would not steal from them because we wouldn't steal from ourselves. Uh, We certainly would not covet his wife or his property. Oh, man. See, these start to be a problem. You know, when I covet someone else, I'm not loving them. I don't see the connection. It's right there. If a man, let's be brutally honest, if a man covets after his neighbor's wife, he's being unloving. Now we could say, well, he's, a, he's being a sinner. Yes, he's being a sinner. But he's being unloving. That's the most unloving thing you can do is covet your, your neighbor's wife or his things. And yet, we live in a society that we, we, we routinely do some of these things. Let's be honest this morning, folks. We do some of these things, and it never crosses our mind. Wait a minute, what I'm actually doing here, it's not just sin. It's unloving. So I'm breaking that commandment when I covet after my neighbor. I'm breaking that commandment when I live these things. How do I fulfill these things? Thirdly, we see back in our text that not only is this a demand, there's a desire for love. This desire for love in verse number 10, he talks about this is the key to everything we're talking about. This is the key to understanding this. He says, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Look what it says, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Remember, your neighbor is not just the person that lives next to you. So what love never does, it never injures his or her neighbor. In any respect, it does the opposite. Love, as far as it has within its power, desires to serve that other person, desires to serve that neighbor. You realize that every dispute among neighbors and every dispute among nations, people say the problem is different ethnicities. The problem is different religions. No, the problem is there is a lack of a desire to love other people. That's why when these commands come out, you could walk out of here and say, okay, got it. Love God and love my neighbor. Is that, do we really spend 45 minutes? I got that. Do you really? Ill will towards another person is the direct result of breaking the commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. When you think badly towards that person, you're breaking that commandment. And by the way, grace doesn't excuse us from all of those things. That's the latest thing now. Well, I'm saved by grace, so my sin's excused. No, you're still, we still are to honor and obey what the law tells us to do. What do we say about people who are constantly in strife and constantly in contention? People that strive over the smallest thing, what's the origin of every dispute? A person desiring love and a person failing to give love. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love will prevent everything that the law forbids. In other words, love is what fulfills the law. 
A desire for love will prevent me from murder. A, a love will prevent me from adultery. It will preserve, preserve me from hatred. Love then in its purest form keeps me from doing that which I would not do. Love works no ill, does no hurt to our neighbor, fulfills the law. That is the property and the desire of love. Love does no hurt. Let me take you to a passage that often people have misused. It doesn't mean it doesn't have application, but it's not really often used in a proper context. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You don't have to raise your hand, but I will tell you, Jennifer and I had this read at our wedding 26 years ago. Principles are wonderful. If you live your marriage this way, <laughs> I'm telling you, it, it would revolution, it'll change everything. But the context is not just for your bride or your spouse, your husband. This is the rule of the law. This is how I'm supposed to govern my life. Let's get down really close. This is how it should govern even this local church, this little church here. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, just listen to this, all, the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, that when, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now what I love is often we stop reading there, but Paul goes on and makes, this, makes these profound statements. When I was a child, now I, I, like I said, I've been around preachers long enough I was around non-expositional preaching long enough that we, we just, they conveniently ignore everything around it, then they center in on something. And they make a whole message out of childish things. The context of what he's talking about is what he just read about charity. It, it, it's like me saying something and all of a sudden I just change. No, he says now, with what, regard what I just read, what I just wrote, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, when we see through a, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abide of faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. 
Now, let me give you a real life practical idea. Children, small children, again, no offense. My children were small. Your children are small. Children are the most selfish people on the planet. And they're not ashamed of it. Right? They're not. If they want up at 3 a.m., you're getting up. You have no control over it. Try to reason with them. Try to say, listen, now, if you could just stay asleep until 7 tomorrow, we'd be great. No, that child, when it says, I want, and I want it now, and I'm gabbing it my way. Here's the problem. There's adults that act that way. There's adults that say, this is the, that's unloving. If I do that to my spouse, that's unloving. If I do that to my church, that's unloving. If I do that to my neighbor, that's unloving. It all comes right back to the same problem we have. We are self-centered and arrogant, and we are all about us. It's amazing. You hear people say all the time, those kids are so, they're so selfish. Yet when we withhold love, that's exactly what we're doing. We are, we are withholding that which what the law demands. The man who truly loves his neighbor is not going to willingly harm him. Rather, he's going to do everything within his power to promote his neighbor's good. That's why Paul says the whole law is comprehended or fulfilled in one word, love. As love from its very nature, it delights or desires to please the object of its love. Its very existence is that which protects me from injuring willfully my neighbor. So Paul shows us how very few things are more important than how our life is to be ordered. No man should ever be able to say to us that we owe them love because it ought to already be there. Paul commends love as a concise Direct statement of everything the law demands. The whole law commands nothing else but this. And again, if you have it, I don't think you're being honest, but praise the Lord. All you have to do is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Stop worrying about all the other stuff. Just get those two. You see, we become so... Get, get the idea that, just like in 1 Corinthians, I can do all these things. I've got the gift of prophecy. I've got the gift. I've got faith that moves mountains. If you don't love your neighbor, it's as guilty as breaking the whole thing, and it's worthless. It has no profit. Oh, the Lord's going to have to help us because we understand that this is a great struggle. It's a struggle for us to stop and think about how in the world do I get my eyes off of myself and get my eyes on another person. Next week, we'll deal with the realities if Paul continues this thought. Again, it's not chopped off. I broke these things into two pieces because he's going to continue and say, okay, now as a result of loving one another, here's what now is next. And I would like to tell you that Next week is a lot easier than this week, and that would not be true. But the reality is, is are you being ruled by the law of love? Can it be said about yourself? Can you say about yourself that I'm truly loving one another? Do I love God the way I'm supposed to? Do I love my neighbor as myself? It's a great challenge.
Let's stand all.